If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you open them to Hebrews chapter 4? Hebrews chapter 4. We've been working through a series that we've entitled uh, Back to the Basics. And what we've been doing is uh, remembering what the, writers of he- what the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 6. He admonished us that if we're going to be following Jesus, our faith ought to be continuing to grow. There ought to be this constant spiritual growth and development in the Christian walk. Of course, in order to do that, we need to have a firm foundation on which to build. And so in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, the author lists kind of six elementary truths of the Christian faith. Some of the basic foundational things that we need to know and understand and live as believers in order to continue growing in Christ. So last week, we looked at the first one, which the writer of Hebrews says is repentance from acts that lead to death. And so we saw last week that we all as humans have this tendency in us to, uh, to make ourselves into God. We, we want to be our own God. We want to do things my way for, for my pleasure and my enjoyment. And, and what we saw last week is that anything that would have us live contrary to the way the one true God wants us to live leads us to death. And so when we're living uh, with ourselves as our God, we're living in a way that leads not to life, not in God's direction, but that leads to death. Of course, it's difficult to live perfectly. We, we all make mistakes. We all do things wrong. And that's where that word that the writer of Hebrew uses comes into play, repentance. Repentance is when we turn from the things that are wrong, from me being my own God, from me doing things the way I want to do. And when we turn and walk towards the one true living God, towards uh, his son, Jesus Christ, by his spirit living in us. That's what repentance is. Here's the difficult thing, though. Too many times we think, if I just live well, if I just live rightly, if I do more good than I do bad, God will be pleased with me. Well, there's two problems with that. First of all, none of us can actually ever do more good than we do bad. Even the best among us Scripture tells us are plagued by sin. We're fallen. We're broken. We can never do more good than we do bad because God looks at the whole picture, our thoughts, our words, and our actions. That's the first problem with that notion. The second notion is that um, the notion that the way I live is what it takes to please God, that my actions are what pleases God. That's not what the writer of Hebrews says. He has another take on it. I'm going to read from chapter 11, verse 6, where the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, he says, it's impossible to please God. He's not talking about our actions. He's not talking about our words. He's not talking about our thoughts. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, the secret sauce of the Christian, uh, Christian walk is faith, not actions, not words, not what we do. So here's a challenge with that. At some point in our Christian growth and development, a lot of us kind of get a little confused about faith. So I've asked a few of, uh, of my friends to join me out here and to help me kind of illustrate the way that, uh, that we get a little off base with faith. So, so here's our first one. Uh, Yoda, you've, uh, you've kind of grown a bit. 
I guess those 600 years were good for you. So too many times we start to think of faith like the force. And so, so Yoda, if you will, kind of becomes the, the epitome of what it means to have faith. We, we think that faith is something to be tapped into. And if we can just understand it more, if we can, um, if we can learn just the right things about the Bible, if we can go to church just enough, if we, can, um, if we can say the right words in prayer, then we can manipulate circumstances and events so that they're what we want them to be. You know, like in the movie, these are not the droids you're looking for. And we kind of think that, that that's what faith becomes, something, to, a force, a magical force, a mysterious force to be manipulated. Thank you, Yoda. Can I, can you, thank you. Sometimes it's, it's the faith as, as a force, a mysterious force that confuses us, but um, sometimes it's more about feeling. Amy, I notice you're wearing a, a letterman's jacket today. Tell us about your letterman's jacket. How did, you, how did you earn that? Well, I played varsity basketball throughout high school. You played varsity basketball throughout high school. That's, that's truly how you earned it. Of course, that's kind of an understatement. You actually started playing for the, uh, the MCAC Wildcats when you were in, what, fourth grade? and played all through high school, actually about halfway through high school, the program could no longer support a girls team. And so you didn't give up basketball. You started uh, managing the boys team for the Wildcats. So you've been in and out of locker rooms essentially your whole life. And you've heard the, the famed locker room pep talk, right? And, and your, your coach, Coach DeBrote, he's one of the best pep talkers there is. He, uh, if you've been in a locker room, you know how this works. And if not, you've probably seen a movie and, and you can imagine it. The, you know, the players are gathered around. Maybe they came in at halftime, tails between their legs because they're getting their butts whooped. And, and the coach peps them up. He, he talks to them. Maybe he yells at them. Maybe he, you know, maybe he, he uh, smacks them on the shoulders or does something to get their feelings believing that they can go back out on that court and they can win. Really what a pep talk is, it's a, a feeling adjustment. It gets me thinking and feeling like I can actually go out and we can win this thing. And too many times, that's often how we think of faith as, as our, our feelings. Can I, can I get that from you? Thank you. We think of faith as feelings. If I can just feel the right way, if I can get the warm fuzzies, if I can sing the right songs with the right chords in the right way and close my eyes and raise my hand just right, then I must have faith. Pastor Andrea, uh, earlier this month, you had a special day. What was it? Oh, my birthday? It was your birthday. That's right. So um, this is a, a little bit overdue. Oh. <laughs> um, but we wanted to present you with a birthday cake. We haven't had a chance as a staff team to celebrate your birthday yet. Maybe if I use the force, I can light the candles. Or maybe this lighter will work. So uh, we're going we're gonna to light you uh, uh, some candles here. It was more than three this year. It was 24. 25. 25. Whoa, how dare I? It was 25. But as you can imagine, 25 would set the sprinklers off in here. So we're going to go with this. Now, if we were all together today and, uh, and we were celebrating Pastor Andrea's birthday, we lit the candles, we would sing a song to her like we did last week for Mary Carr. And then what would happen before she blew out the candles? What would she do? She'd make a wish, absolutely. So you've done this before, maybe not since you were in your 20s, but how did you make a wish? Like, was there something you would do? I'll sometimes close my eyes. Close your eyes? Think of it. Yeah, that's pretty common. We close our eyes. When I was a little kid, I figured if the, the tighter I closed them, the more chances the wish would come true. So you'd do that, you'd make a wish. Of course, you can't tell anyone, right? If you tell right. your wish, ain't happening. 
and then you'd blow out the candles. You want to do that? All right, fantastic. Thank you, Pastor Andrea. And this is the other way that we get confused about faith. We, we begin to think that it's about making a wish. We begin to think that if we, uh, you know, if we, if we just do the right, if we close our eyes the right way, if we, uh, if we say the right thing, if we imagine or want hard enough, that it'll come to be. All of these are really poor substitutes for Christian faith. Let's look at a definition, a more accurate de- definition of Christian faith. Let's try this. Faith is confidence in God that he is who he says he is and he will do all that he has promised to do. Faith is confidence in God that he is who he says he is and he will do all he has promised to do. Now that definition of faith has kind of two key things that we can't lose sight of. And and bear with me here if this gets a little too technical, although I don't think it's that technical. There's two key things to this definition. Faith is confidence in God that he is who he says he is, and he'll do what he promised to do. First of all, we see in that definition what's called the object of our faith. You see, all faith has an object. That's the thing in which you're putting your confidence. So if you have, if you have faith that a certain face cleanser will take the acne off of your forehead, the object of your faith is that faith cleanser. If you have confidence that the Christian counselor with whom you're working is going to help you put your marriage back together, you're the object of your faith is that Christian counselor. And see, that's where these faith misunderstandings get things wrong. The the, the object of, um, you know, the faith force is some mysterious, unknown power or energy. The the object of, um, you know, feelings faith, the pep talk faith, is in me. If I can just adjust my feelings the right way, I can go out and I can make it happen. That's not how Christian faith works. You see, the object of the Christian faith, Christian faith, the kind that it takes to please God, the object is rooted in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the object of Christian faith. Not an impersonal force, not me and what I can conjure up, not me and how I feel, but Jesus Christ. Christian faith is not rooted in me, it's rooted in who Jesus is. You see, our faith, Christian faith, says that since the beginning, God's desire has been to be with his people, to be among us. And our faith says that God was so intent on that desire that he put on flesh He was born among us as one of us, as a human being. We call him Jesus Christ, and he he allowed us. He walked with us. We could touch him. We could hear him. We could feel his breath on our our cheek when he leaned in to tell us a secret. Um, He was a real person, and he allowed us to see what it means to have faith in God. You see, the content, excuse me, the object of Christian faith is a person, not a feeling, not a force, not an unknowable God. 
Our faith is in the God who lived among us, who allowed us to see him and hear him and touch him and catch this and even to kill him. So we have this definition of Christian faith that we're working with. Uh, uh, Christian faith is the confidence that God is who he said he is. Christian faith is rooted, first of all, in a person. And then it's a confidence, not only that God is who he says he is, but that he'll do all that he promised to do. This is the content of faith. So faith has an object. It's that in which you're trusting or in which you have confidence. And it has a content, that that you trust the object to do. So for example, if you have confidence that a certain medicine is going to deal with your anxiety, the object is the medicine, The content of your faith is that it will work with the chemicals of your brain and it'll give you some calm, some peace. It'll reduce your anxiety. Or if you have confidence that your coach can help develop you, the object of your faith is your coach. The context of your faith is that he's going to push you and he's going to stretch you and, and, and by doing that, he's going to help you become better at whatever it is that he's coaching you in. The same is true of Christian faith. The object of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ, but the content of Christian faith is that Jesus alone will save me from every act that leads to death. The content of the Christian faith is that only Jesus can save me from every act that leads to death. You see, Christian faith isn't built on what I can do for God. It's not, built on, um, it's not built on my ability to say no or to, to live a perfect life. Christian faith is built on the saving work of Jesus Christ and, and the fact that only he can save me. So just like our faith teaches us that God desires to be among us and took on flesh and lived among us, let, him, let us see him and hear him and feel him and even kill him, our faith also teaches us that, that as he did that, as God walked among us in the human body of Jesus Christ, Jesus lived a perfect life. Unlike us, all of us, we don't live perfectly. We, we think things that we oughtn't think. We feel things that don't honor God. We say things that, uh, that are displeasing to God and hurt others. We, we do things that are blatant rebellion against the perfection of God. But not Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life, flawless, no sin, no error. And at the end of that life, he was sentenced, sentenced to an unfair and unjust Death And so scripture teaches us, scripture tells us that because he was sinless and perfect and we're not, God allowed his death to, to become the substitution to take the place of our death. His punishment was the punishment that we deserved. The death that each of us deserve for our sin falls on him. And so the content of our Christian faith is in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. You see, this is where birthday cake faith, for example, that's where where that misses the mark because that believes if I'll just close my eyes tight enough and, and wish hard enough and not tell anyone what I'm wishing, and then if I can blow all my candles out, then what I want to happen will happen. But you see, the object of that kind of faith 
is me and my wish. And the content is, well, I guess really whatever I want it to be. And the same thing with the, the faith force. We, now, you know, if we can imagine it, we can make it be. Again, like back to the movie, these are not the droids you're looking for. And so all we do is we, you know, we wave our fingers and poof, the stormtroopers think these aren't the droids they're looking for. Or, or, or to be more realistic, maybe we think, you know what, um, I don't need to study. I don't need to work hard. I don't need to apply myself. And then we, you know, we close our eyes and we wish really hard that we could be an honor student and poof, we are. See, that's not how faith works. It's not rooted in me. It's not rooted in what I can dream up or what I can imagine. It's rooted in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Now, realistically, most of us by our third or fourth birthday, we know this doesn't work. We've tried it a few times and we still don't have a pony in the backyard. You know, when we're, when we're uh, whatever, eight or nine or 10 and, and our dad gets us a, a cheap plastic lightsaber, we start to realize the force is just a farce. I mean, when we face some things in life that are hard and hurt, and no matter how much we try to conjure up emotion and feeling, it's not changing, then we begin to realize that faith as feeling is also a farce. So, so why do we continue, even though we would never talk about it like this, why do we continue to, to live in a way like, like this is what real faith is? I would suggest it's because authentic Christian faith is difficult. It's hard. Because it asks some things of us that, that we don't often want to give. For example, notice, notice the few I have listed here in your notes. Um, authentic Christian faith leaves God with an option to say no. True, authentic, biblical Christian faith leave God, leaves God with permission, with an option of saying no. And if I'm to be honest, and I bet if you're to be honest too, we don't want that. I don't want a God who tells me no. I want a God who says yes where everything that I want is what he's going to give me. I want a God who I can manipulate and I can cajole. I can, I can, with my behavior, I can uh, you know, live the right way or do the right things or check off the right number of things on the checklist and then God will be pleased with me and give me what I want. But authentic Christian faith says, no, 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 that's not how it works. God has permission to say no. And here's why. Because the God we worship is an all-loving all-knowing God. That's who he is. And this all-loving, all-knowing God has something that he's up to. And he sees the big picture, bigger than we can ever even imagine. He sees how it all works together. He sees the beginning, or excuse me, the end from the beginning. He knows what's happening, and there's no way that he can sacrifice, that he can give me everything I want for my wishes and my wants and my desires, which are so small, so here and now. Because if he does that, if he says yes to everything I want, then what about this big picture? How is that affected? How is that impacted? How does that accomplish what a perfect, all-loving, all-knowing God wants to accomplish? He can't sacrifice an infinitesimally small little corner of the picture 
for the whole big grand picture. You see, authentic Christian faith gives God the permission to say no because I trust that he's an all-knowing, all-loving God and that he's up to something, that he has a plan that's way bigger than me that I could never comprehend, that I'll probably never be able to fully fathom. This is why we go for these faith imitations, these fake faiths, because um, there's some difficulties with Christian faith. There's some, some things that are hard. Secondly, authentic Christian faith isn't about getting something from God, but it's about surrendering my life to God. You see, real Christian faith, the kind that we find in Scripture, isn't about, I'm going to say what I want, I'm going to get it. It's not about God making me healthy, wealthy, and wise. Authentic Christian faith says it's not about what God can do for me because he's already done everything he could do for me. In the person of Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for me. And so the real question is, to grow in my faith, what am I willing to surrender to him? What am I willing to lay aside to pursue him? What am I willing to walk away from so I can walk in his direction. You see, real Christian faith asks me to understand that this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God knows what he's doing and that we can't manipulate him. We cannot pray in such a way that it's some kind of magical incantation that'll make God do what, he wants, what we want him to do. Prayer is a way to know our Heavenly Father, to know, uh, you know the object, the person behind our faith, and the content, his will. We, we can't manipulate God. We, we can't live in such a way that if we do more good than bad, God will be pleased and give us what he wants. That's not what our behavior is about. Our behavior is supposed to be a response to what he's already done. We can't approach Scripture thinking, um, I'm going to learn the secret code and all the secret knowledge, and, and then God will, you know, I'll be able to know what, what's going to happen, and God will do what I want. No, 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 no. Scripture is a way to get to know who's behind our faith and whom our faith is rooted. It's his revelation of what he's up to and where this is going. I think the third reason why it's so easy to stick with these, these faux faith, these, these fake things, even when we know they're not right, is that authentic Christian faith is a vehicle, not a cause. Authentic Christian faith is a vehicle, not a cause. Now let's go back to our definition of faith from the beginning. <clears throat> authentic Christian faith, faith is confidence that God is who he says he is, and that he will do all that he promised to do. And so, because I believe that, I'm a Christian, right? <laughs> no. That's seductive, isn't it? That, that definition of faith is right on. Where we go wrong is thinking that because I believe that, because I believe that God is who he says he is, and where I have confidence that he'll do all he promised to do, that that's what makes me a Christian. That is the total opposite of what makes us a Christian. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to read from uh, Paul, or I'm going to read from Paul, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Here's what he says. For it is by grace, he's, he's pointing us back to the object of our faith, God, and his unlimitless, unmatchless grace. For it is by grace you have been saved. That's the content of our faith, the saving work of Jesus Christ, his ability to clean us up and make us God's children. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
You notice we're not saved by our faith. It's not because I believe that God is who he is and will do all he's promised to do. That's not what saves me. It's God's grace that saves me. God is the one who's saving me. My faith is a vehicle that brings me there. I've been saved by grace through faith. Faith brought me to grace. Faith brought me to God so that I could be saved. My faith doesn't save me. No matter how strong it is, no matter how fully developed it is, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, the faith that brought you to grace, this isn't from yourself. It's not your faith in the sense that that you closed your eyes and wished hard enough or that you waved your fingers the right way or that you got the right emotional frame of being. This is not your faith. This faith is from God. It is a gift of God, he says. Not by works. Your faith, your salvation, it's not by works. It's a gift. It's by God's grace. And faith brings us to that grace. You see, faith is a vehicle. It's the vehicle that brings us to salvation. It's a vehicle that brings us to God's grace. It's a vehicle that that brings us to everything that God has for us. And I got to tell you, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not a luxury sedan with Napa leather interior and Bose surround sound and all the bells and whistles. Sometimes the faith that brings us to God is, is more like an impromptu zip line from one building to the other. You know, the, the kind that you see in movies where you got to rip your belt off and wrap it around your hands and, and then slide from one building to the other on a zip line without a harness, with, with nothing to keep you safe except your grip on that belt. Sometimes that's what faith is. Let me show you why I say that. If hopefully by now you've had long enough to find Hebrews chapter 4. Follow along as I read in Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 14. He writes, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, who is that great high priest, he tells us, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. You see, faith is the vehicle that brings us to God. It brings us to Jesus Christ, our, our great high priest. And, and sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. Sometimes we have to hold on firmly with everything that we have. We have to white knuckle it in the sense that we're not going to give up. We're not going to walk away. But we can do it because of the object of our faith. Our great high priest the, he is the one who gives us the strength to hold on. Notice what, what uh, the writer says in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest... For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. You see, the object, the great high priest, he endured everything we will. The details may be different, but the temptation is the same. The struggle is the same and he endured. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Beloved, we have a high priest. He's the one in whom our faith is rooted, and he's endured everything that we've endured. 
Every temptation we face, the, the words may be different. It may manifest in a different way. But he dealt with the same temptation, the, uh, the same lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Every struggle, every hardship, every pain that we're enduring, he has walked through something just as intense, if not more intense. And he endured. He didn't sin. We have a high priest who understands where we're at. And we're promised that if we'll turn to him, we will receive mercy and we'll find grace. And some of you say, yeah, but Pastor Earl, you have no idea. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I struggle with, Pastor Earl. That's true. Unless you've shared them, I don't. But you know what? If your faith is rooted on what you've done, or if it's rooted in what you can do, then your faith is already sunk. But if your faith is rooted in your great high priest who has been through everything you've been through, he knows the intensity, he knows the difficulty, and he now stands before the throne of God interceding for you, him, him asking the Father for mercy and for grace, if that's where your faith is, then you can turn away. You can turn away before that thing latches onto you again. Or if it's already got you in its grips, you can confess that and you can own it and you can turn away because you can have confidence that what you're turning to is a great high priest who is ready to give you mercy, who is already helping you to find grace. If you even have a desire to turn away, God is already working in you. Or you might say, yeah, but Pastor Earl, you just don't get it. I mean, it is so difficult for me right now. Like, if you knew the last you know, 24 months of my life, you, you would get why my faith is paper thin. Why I'm not sure if I can get up and go to church another week. Why I'm not sure if I can read the Bible. Why, why I don't even want to... You would get it if you knew what I'd been through. Oh, beloved. There's so much pain and so much struggle and so much hardship and so much failure. But you have a high priest who's walked through it all. He's endured everything that you've endured. And that's the beautiful thing about grace in the verses we just read. In this context, it means the ability to endure the ability to hold firmly to the faith that you have, that Jesus Christ is your great high priest. His grace is there for you. Hold on. Don't let go. Don't give up. Keep getting up. Keep going to church. Keep opening the Bible and reading. Keep praying. Even if you're not feeling it, your faith is not built on feelings. It's built on who Jesus is and what he has done. Beloved, when Jesus Christ, your great high priest, is the, the object of your faith, you may not be feeling it. You may need to psych yourself up just to go to church. You may not be able to, to clench your eyes tight enough and, and make the best wish come true. You may not be able to manipulate events and things the way that you want to get the outcome you want. But if your faith is rooted in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for you, you will continue to grow. 
You will get through this season. You will be able to turn away from that which seems to have you in its grips. You will endure. You see, that's why these two things in Hebrews 6.1 go together. Repentance from acts that leads to death and faith in God. Because if my faith isn't in my great high priest, I can't repent. But if my faith is rooted in Jesus Christ and what he has done for me and what he is doing for me before the throne of God, then I can repent from acts that lead to death and I can live. Beloved, that's my prayer for you. You may not feel it now, but continue to hold firmly. And soon enough, you're going you're to round a corner that you don't yet see. You're going to crest a hill that isn't yet in your view. And when you do, when you round that corner, when you crest that hill, you're going to see with your eyes and you're going to feel, feel with your heart what you can't see and what you can't feel now. You have a great high priest who's been there and who's interceding for you before God's throne, ready to offer you mercy and grace. Put your faith in him and in him alone. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great high priest, that Jesus Christ walked among us, that, uh, that the Son of God became human so that we could see and hear and touch and feel him. Thank you that he lived a sinless life, that he endured every temptation known to man, that he endured every struggle and hardship and suffering that we face and now is before the throne of God interceding for us, inviting us to trust him, to have confidence in him and in his work and turn and repent and receive mercy and find grace. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are watching today who need, who need to do that who need to turn and find mercy, forgiveness for, for perhaps some act of death that, that's tripped them up. Or who need to find grace because their faith is paper thin and they, they just need to keep going. They just need to hold firmly to their faith and their great high priest. By your spirit today, Father, would you renew their confidence in Jesus Christ and what he has done and is doing we pray all this in confidence, God, that you are who you say you are and you'll do everything you've promised to do. In Jesus' name, amen.